Well, good morning. It's so good to see you here today. If you have your Bibles with you, and I'm sure that you do, uh, would you go to Acts chapter 13? That's where I want you to go uh, this morning. And as you are uh, turning there, I do want to say to you, thank you so much uh, for being here um, in spite of the nasty weather. That was pretty crazy last night, wasn't it? That was wild. I was driving uh, to, uh, to the church this morning, and I thought of the song, uh, Let It Snow. Anybody remember that song, Let It Snow, Let It Snow? And the first line is, the weather outside is... That's what I was thinking this morning. Uh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so... And since there's no place to... Let's go to church and grow. Amen? Anyways, I don't know. Well, I'm glad that you are here, and if you are watching online and weren't able to make it this morning, and I totally understand, thank you uh, for watching with us. And if you are watching with us online, go ahead and take out your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 13. But as you are turning there, I do want to share this as well. I was um, reading in Colossians chapter 1 this morning as I was having my, my quiet time, and I was reading Colossians 1 chapter 19, and it really uh, just spoke to my heart. Um, have you ever, you ever had those moments when you're just reading scripture and something just, it just catches you? I had one of those moments this morning. It was from Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, and, and Paul says, and he's speaking to believers, and I want to share this to you as an encouragement and an, as an exhortation to, to, keep, uh, to keep the faith, to keep hanging in there, because this is what Paul said. He said, for God was pleased to have the fullness of him dwell in Christ so that Christ could reconcile us to God himself. And he says later on, he says, for we have been reconciled so that, and here's what got me, so that God sees us as holy in his sight, without blemish, and we are free from accusation. Those three things really got me this morning, that when God looks at us as believers in Christ, who have believed and have given our lives to him, and we have been reconciled to God, this is what God says about us. He sees us as holy. He sees us without blemish, and he sees us and he's with, without accusation. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to be reminded of that, amen? that you are holy in God's sight, that you are without blemish, and there is nobody who can accuse you before the Heavenly Father. Amen? And so I'm so thankful for that, and um, I pray that that would encourage you, and by the look that's on your faces, I can tell that it encouraged you greatly. And so Acts chapter 13 is where you want to look at this morning as we are in the third part of our series simply called Hope for the Holidays. And we're just looking at, we need hope. Our, our world needs hope. We're not gonna find hope um, outside of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I've titled our message, God, God, the promise keeper. I want you to say that with me. God, the promise keeper. You know, scholars have said that there are over 5,000 promises in the Bible. That's a lot of promises. And this morning, since we have no place to go, we're going to look at every single one of those promises this morning. Aren't you glad you're here? All right. Well, the, the Bible makes thousands 
of promises. I'm reminded of a, um, of a story of two brothers who were, who were uh, you know, just doing what brothers do, and the older brother said to the younger brother, he said, I want to do this, listen, I promise you, I will give you $10 if you let me crack three eggs on your head. And the younger brother said, you promise? And the older brother said, yeah, I promise, I promise. The younger brother said, okay. And so the older brother cracked the first egg on his head and that egg just fell down that younger brother's head. And he pulled out the second one, the older brother pulled out the second egg, cracked it on the younger brother's head and all of the egg is just running down this younger brother's head. And the younger brother was waiting for the third egg and the older brother was not going to crack that third egg. And the younger brother said, but you promise, aren't you going to break that third egg? And the older brother said, no way, it would cost me $10 to do that. <laughs> promises, promises. It's one thing to make a promise, amen? How many of you have ever made a promise in your life before? We all have. How many of you have kept all your promises? Let's see your hands go up. No, it's one thing to be a promise maker. It's another thing to be a promise keeper. And when we look at the Christmas story, and we study the Christmas story, and we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story teaches us that, that Christ, or that God himself, is the promise maker and the promise keeper, and because of that, we can stand on his promises. That's the message of Christmas, that God promised that the Messiah was going to come, God kept that promise, and now you and I, we can stand on the promises of God. So let's look at our text this morning, and folks, it is only one verse this morning, amen? Let's stand to our feet so we can get out of here early. Can we do it? Let's stand to our feet and let's read verse 23 together. Are we gonna get out early? Everybody say, no. Here we go. <laughs> verse 23, follow along in your copy of God's word. And this is what it says. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior. And everybody say his name, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that is life, and it brings us comfort, and it brings us peace. We thank you, O oh God, our Father, for sending your son, Jesus, to us, as you promised, to be our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. You may have a seat. Well, let me share a little context with you from Acts chapter 13 before we look into the promise that we read in verse 23. In Acts chapter 13, um, this is the story of Paul's first missionary journey. You read in the very beginning of Acts chapter 13, you will see that the church set aside or set apart, called out two men, Paul and Barnabas, and they told Paul and Barnabas two things, and if you were to read the entire chapter, Acts chapter 13, you would see these two things. The early church said to Paul and Barnabas, we want you to go to the rest of the world and we want you to preach the gospel. 
preach the gospel to everybody, and number two, set up elders or set up leaders in every church. And they prayed over Paul, they prayed over Barnabas, and they sent them out, and Paul and Barnabas uh, took with them a young man by the name of John Mark. Well, these three, uh, they, they make the way up into modern-day Turkey. Uh, our text says in verse number 14, they made it to Pisidian Antioch. And in verses 16 through 41, which is where we read verse 23, this is the first recorded sermon from Paul on his first missionary journey. And he is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and he brings up the word promise. And if you and I, if we had time today, that we, would, we could go back and look at Acts chapter seven. And in Acts chapter seven, we read another sermon from a man by the name of Stephen. Do you remember that? Stephen's sermon. Stephen's sermon in Acts 7 and Paul's sermon here in Acts 13 are very, very similar. Why? Because they go back to the promises found in the Old Testament. Those sermons are filled with scripture from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you would see that, and we would read over and over and over again, that God promised somebody to come save us. Over and over again, God promised in the Old Testament, I'm going to send you a king. I'm going to send you a savior. I'm going to send you a deliverer. I'm going to send you a Messiah. Scholars would say that there are over 300 promises in the Old Testament of the person named Jesus, our Messiah. You could go through all of the books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way to Malachi, and get this, every single book in the Old Testament promises the coming of the Messiah, whom we know as Jesus. That's all promised in the Old Testament. Now, let me take a little side note and say this, that if you ever come across a teacher, a pastor, or somebody that says something along the lines, hey, we, we don't need to listen to the Old Testament, we need to put the Old Testament aside, here's what you need to do, run away from them. Because the New Testament and our faith is based upon the foundation of the promises that are found in the Old Testament. If we don't have the Old Testament, we don't know about the promise of the coming Messiah. So you need to understand, and we need to understand the Old Testament and all the promises that are found in the Old Testament. Because in those, we see that God is the promise maker. And when it comes to Christmas, we see that God is not only the promise maker, but he's also the promise keeper. So let me share with you this morning, I'm going to give you five promises that God made about the Messiah who came at Christmas time. I'm going to go through these five rather quickly, and then we're going to make the application point at the end. Amen? If you're ready, say, let's go. There you go. Not let's snow, but let's go. Here you go, number one, here's the first promise that I want you to see. Some of you have heard this, but this is always good to be reminded of this. Number one, God promised that Jesus would be born of a woman. God promised that Jesus, whom we celebrate at Christmas, his birth, would be born of a woman. Go in your Bibles to the very first book in the Bible, which is Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter three. Okay, don't turn your Bibles, just look at your iPhones. That'll be great too. Let me hear the pages turn, let me hear them. 
Very good. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse number 15. Because in Genesis 3, here's what happens. The world changed. The world changed in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 1 and 2, we have the creation. God said it is good. He gets to creating a man and female. He says it's very good. He places them in the garden, gives them some rules, or gives them a rule, don't eat of the tree. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve disobey God and everything changes. And when everything changed and when sin entered the world, here's what entered with it. Shame Guilt, embarrassment, pain. And so Adam and Eve, they hide from the Lord. And folks, here's what happens. When you and I sin, guess what the first thing it is that we do? We hide from the Father. Amen? When we sin, we hide. Why? That's shame. That's pain. That's guilt. And so God sees this, and as soon as Adam and Eve sin, God sets into motion his plan of reconciliation. And in Genesis 3, he gives down some curses. He curses Adam, he curses uh, Eve, places a curse on them, and then he gets to a curse on the serpent. Look at verse number 15, and this is what he says to Satan the serpent. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity means, it means strife, it means opposition. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, the serpent's seed, and her seed, that's Eve's seed. And he said, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Right here in verse number 15, this is what theologians call the proto-evangelion which is, this is the gospel. The gospel was first proclaimed in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, when we sinned. And as soon as we sinned, God said, I have a reconciliation plan in place, and here's my promise, that my son, through the seed of Eve, will come, and he is going to crush the head of Satan. And that's what we see in our text. But we also see that from this point on, that there's going to be strife. Do you see that in the text? That there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems between good and evil. Is that still going on today? You better believe it. Does it seem like that evil is winning right now? Sometimes it seems that way. But you hold on to the promise that God said in the very beginning that his seed from Eve is going to crush evil. One day, Satan will be destroyed by the seed of Eve, whom God says is born of a woman. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that at Christmas. We see God made a promise, and here we see at Christmas time that God is keeping that promise. In Galatians chapter four, write this down. This is one of my favorite passages when it comes to the Christmas time, the Christmas story. Galatians chapter four, verse four, it says this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Born of a woman. We, we need to understand, God made the promise, God kept the promise. Here's the second promise. The second promise is this. God promised that Jesus would come from the tribe of Judah. Go to Genesis chapter 49. Go to Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. 
In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, we read this promise from the Heavenly Father. He says this about his son. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until, until what? Shiloh comes, Shiloh, the person, peace. Until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now what is this promise? This promise is this, that the Messiah is going to be one, born of a woman, and he's also going to come from a particular, specific tribe, the tribe of Judah. Well, who, who fulfills that? Who fulfills that? None other than Jesus. When do we see Jesus being um, a part of the tribe of Judah? When do we see that ultimately fulfilled? Go all the way to the last book of the Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. We see this when, when uh, the, the elders are around the throne and they're wanting somebody to open the seals, and this is what it says, stop weeping, behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. We see all in scripture that Jesus is called the lion from the tribe of Judah. When is this promised? This is promised in the very beginning. And we see the fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ who is born of a woman. Now you may say, some of you may say, Pastor, this is, man, this really isn't very exciting stuff, but I promise you it is. Because this baby that we celebrate at Christmas, this is the one that, that God made the promise of from the very beginning. And we need to understand and we need to live our lives by, God is the promise maker and he's also the promise keeper, amen? Look at your neighbor and say, this is great stuff. I do want to hear all 5,000 promises. <laughs> Nobody said that, all right. Here's the third thing, write this down, write this down. Here's the third thing. God promised that Jesus would be announced by John the Baptist. God said that Jesus would be announced by John the Baptist. Go to the last book in the Old Testament. Which is what? Anybody know what it is? Very good. Go to Malachi. Go to Malachi. If you don't know what it is, go to Matthew, and then just turn a couple pages back. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Now here's the neat thing about Malachi. Malachi is prophesying 400 years before John the Baptist and before Jesus. He is making a big promise. And God speaks through the prophet Malachi in chapter 3 verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Who in the world is this? How is Malachi prophesying this? How does he know all of this? Who is going to fulfill this person? Who is going to be the messenger that comes before the one who shows up in the temple? Who could that be? Well, the New Testament tells us. When Mark begins to tell the story of Jesus, in Mark chapter one, Mark begins his story with a man by the name of John the Baptist. And in Mark chapter one, verse four, Mark says this, 
This messenger, his name is John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, understand this, between Malachi and John the Baptist, there had been no revelations of the Heavenly Father to mankind. For 400 years, God is silent. And then John the Baptist shows up on the scene, and people know, and scholars know, that John the Baptist is fulfilling Malachi chapter three. Now why is that a big deal? Because John the Baptist comes along and says, listen, God made the promise that he's going to send the son. I'm here to tell you the son is on the way. He says, you get ready for the Lord. You repent, you turn from your wickedness because one greater than me is coming. You remember what John the Baptist said? One who is stronger and mightier than me, I can't even tie his shoes. He's that much greater than I am. This was prophesied. This was a promise made 400 years before John the Baptist is on the scene. Are you getting excited about that? Here's the fourth thing. The first promise was God said this, that Jesus would be born of a, of a woman. The second promise was that he would be of the tribe of Judah. The third one was that, that he is a promise and to be announced by John the Baptist. The fourth one is this, God promised the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Now you know these. You've heard this one. Go to Isaiah chapter seven. Turn over with me. Isaiah chapter seven. You know this. This is probably the most famous promise made about the coming Messiah. So God made this promise to King Ahaz in Isaiah chapter seven. And this, this promise, this prophecy was about 700 years before Christ enters on the scene. So we're talking a long time. And God says, I'm going to do something in your midst. Now here's the interesting thing about Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. God gives this promise to King Ahaz. And King Ahaz says, how will I know? How will I know about this promise? And he says in verse 14, God says this, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Folks, God made this promise 700 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. Now, how do we know that Jesus was this promised one? Because the angel who appeared to Joseph in Matthew verse, chapter one, verse 22, he's the one who says, and this is the son, this is the child that will fulfill what's been promised. Jesus is the promised one. He's the one that all the Old Testament's been talking about. The New Testament is all about the works of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John. The book of Acts and the on tells the rest of the story of how Jesus has changed people's life. But this is the one that God promised, and God kept his promise. Here's the fifth one, number five. Here you go. God promised Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So God promised that Jesus would be born of a, of a woman, tribe of Judah, uh, that he would be, um, that he would be of, of, of the lineage of Abraham and David, that he would be uh, born in Bethlehem, that he would be born of a virgin. I want you to go to Mike, Micah chapter five, please. Micah chapter five. I can't even find it in my Bible. What page number is it in your Bible? Where is it? Go to the table of contents. There you go, 1,117, that's where it is. Micah chapter five, another famous prophecy, another famous promise. 
And this is what it says. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Do you remember the Christmas carol, oh, little town of what? Of Bethlehem. From you will go forth, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And this is what God says, I promise you, this Messiah, he is going to be born in Bethlehem, in a little bitty old town off the beaten path. Now you may be saying again this morning, what's, what's the big deal about all of this? What does this matter? How does this apply to us? Well, I've given you five promises that were uttered by five different people over 1,200 years. And all of these promises were fulfilled in the birth of Christ. Now you say, surely that's just chance. Surely that, that is just, that, 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 is, that, that, that could happen. But what are the chances that one person could fulfill just five of the 300 prophecies that are given in the Old Testament? Well, what are the chances? Well, there was a mathematician named Peter Stoner who investigated that very question. He looked into the 300 different prophecies and he asked the question, what are the chances that five of the 300 prophecies happened by chance? And after he did all these calculations, he concluded the chances were, here you go. That's pretty big, isn't it? That is, I have to say this correctly, it is one, to the, one in 10 to the 17th power. Any mathematicians and statisticians here this morning? Do you, do you know what that is? That's not, that's not 100 thousands. That's not 100 millions. That's not 100 billions. That's not 100 trillions. You know what's next? I don't know, I had to look it up. <laughs> Quadrillions. One in 100 quadrillions. So if you were to take this percentage, if you were to take this chance, and you had that many quarters, 100 quadrillion quarters, and you scattered them all across the state of Texas, they would cover that state two feet deep in quarters. Now just imagine if you took one of those quarters and you placed a big red X on one of those quarters and threw it into that pile just randomly. And then you blindfolded a person and asked him to find that marked quarter on the first try. That's the same prediction that five prophecies would be fulfilled in one person. Who wants to go to Texas? Folks, that's impressive. That's why we need to know that God is the promise maker, and in Christmas time, he's the promise keeper. Amen? He made the promise. He made the promise that Jesus was coming. He told us how it was gonna take place. He told us where it was gonna take place. He told us when it was gonna take place. He told us, you be ready. I promise you, I'm sending my son. And then on Christmas Day, when Jesus was born, God becomes the promise keeper. 
God, the promise maker, becomes the promise keeper. Wow. Well, what do we do with that? What do we do with that information? That God's a promise maker and he's also a promise keeper. Well, what do we do with that? What's, what's the application for you and I today? Here's what it means today. Because, because God is the promise maker, because God is the promise keeper, here's the reality of Christmas. You and I can stand on the promises of God. You can stand on the promises of God. Why? Because whatever God promises, guess what? He's going to keep. If God said through his son Jesus, I promise to never leave you nor forsake you, guess what Jesus means? I'm going to be there for you. When Jesus says, I will, I will protect you, I will watch over you, when he says that, it means he's going to keep it. So for you and I, it means that we can stand on the promises of God. Meaning this, that you and I, because of Christmas, we build our life on the promises of God. We build our lives on what God has already said. And we can trust it because God is going to keep his promises. How many of y'all remember the old hymn, Standing on the Promises? Okay, seven of you, good, good. It was written by a man named Russell Carter in the late 1800s. Um, Russell Carter um, was a, a great uh, a student. He was a great athlete. He became a teacher, a coach, a, a minister, and then later in life, he became a, a medical doctor. But around the age of 30, doctors told him this. They said, they said Russell, um, you, have, you have a disease that we cannot cure, and we can't do anything for you. Uh, Russell was a, a believer, a professed uh, Christian. Um, he had been since a young age, but, but he writes, he said this, but up until that point, I never fully stood on the promises of God. And then he got the words that you're going to die. And you know what those words will do to you. Cancer. We've done all that we can do. Your loved one, you name it. When we hear those words, it puts you on your knees. And you start looking at what God has to say and what God can say into your life. And that's what happened with Russell. And Russell began to read the scriptures and he began to see all the promises of God and he held on to those promises and out of that experience of being told that, that he was not going to live at the age of 30, he wrote the song, Standing on the Promises. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, sing it, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and standing on the promises of God. Sing that chorus, you know it. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. And Russell wrote that song, and he stood on those 
words of God. He knew that God was the promise maker and the promise keeper, and he stood on those promises. He held on to them. And the doctors told him he was not going to live. He held on to those promises, and he lived for another 49 years because he stood on the promises of God. Amen? Believer in Christ, let me ask you this question this morning. Today, what are you standing on? What are you standing on? Are you standing on your own strength? Are you standing in uh, your own uh, ability to think? Are you standing um, in, in your wealth? Or what are you standing on? You read and we hear that God is the one who makes all the promises and that he's going to keep the promises, but what are you standing on? You know, I think of the story, the parable that Jesus told of the wise man and uh, the foolish man. Do you remember this story? It says, the winds came and the rain came and the floods came up like last night. And it said, the foolish man built his house where? What happened? What are you building your foundation upon? And you have the, the wise man, the, the winds blew, the, the rains came, the floods come. But what happened? He built his house upon the rock and what happened? It stood firm. Folks, it matters what you stand upon. Christmas reminds us that Jesus will keep you. Because he is the fulfillment of God's promise, God is going to keep his promise, and so here's what you and I do. We stand on the promises of God. How do we do that? How do we stand on the promises of God? There's three things that, and then we'll be done, three things. The first thing that you and I have to do when we, to stand on the promises of God, and this is the most difficult one. The first thing is this, you have to step off what you're standing on right now if it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to step down. Step down what you're step, that, you're, that you think is, is going to hold you. You have to step down. The Bible says that word, uses a word called repent. Which means, repent means you, you're walking in one direction and then you literally turn around and walk in another direction. Folks, this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to reconcile us unto himself. Because if you do not, and if you are not reconciled to, to the Heavenly Father, then you are walking in the wrong direction. And just as God promised the first coming of the Messiah, He promises the second coming of the Messiah. The same Son 
who goes by the same name and his name is Jesus. And just as God made that promise about the first coming, the first incarnation, and God kept that promise, God's gonna keep that second promise when Jesus returns for that second time. But when Jesus comes that second time, your decision has already been made. It's already been made. And so the cry of Christmas, the cry of the gospel is this, step down from what you're standing upon if it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Step down. Repent. And then you do this, then you step onto the gospel. You step up onto the gospel with both feet and put all your weight onto this baby boy named Jesus Christ and you put everything that you have on to him. Why? He will keep you. You put all your weight upon him and you trust him. And oh, how I wish that life would be perfect when you put all your weight on Jesus. Amen? Rarely, if ever, are all good things going to happen to you when you put all your weight onto Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, actually the opposite will happen. It's when you receive the bad news. Are you with me? You put all your weight onto him, and then you simply trust Jesus to keep you. That's it. Just trust him. Just trust him. Trust him in the dark moments. Trust him in, at Christmas time. Loneliness is a big deal at Christmas time. Listen, if you're here and you're lonely, Know this, God knows and he's promised to keep you and he's promised to never leave you. You are not alone. You're not. You, you may be here and, and, and again, Christmas time, it, it brings sorrow because we've lost loved ones and, and, and it hurts. But know this, God knows your pain. And God is the great comforter, and he wants to wrap his arms around you and love you. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament says this, that God rejoices over you with singing. So don't give in to the sorrow that just overwhelms. When sorrow hits, you look to the one who holds you and who keeps you. but you trust Jesus. This morning, um, like many of you, we were woken up by the, the wind and the rain this morning, and uh, rare to have this during December, very rare. Um, and us, like many of you, we have uh, Christmas decorations out in the front yard. And so I start hearing the wind and the rain at whatever, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. And I went, uh-oh. 
I bet all of our decorations that are in the front yard, I bet they're in our neighbor's yard now. Because we have, we have candy canes, about 20 candy canes, about this tall. We have a, a Christmas tree that's seven feet tall. And we have some Christmas presents that are laid around that Christmas tree. And I just knew, I woke up and said, like, goodness, I'm going to have to go get all these, collect all of these decorations, these ornaments, and put them back where, where they need to be. It's raining. The wind's blowing. I don't want to go out there. So there, there's a break in the weather. And so... Um, put on my shoes. I go out there and I'm ready to go just canvas the neighborhood to get all of our Christmas ornaments back into our yard. But I go out there and you know what? Not one of them was missing and they were all in the place where they were supposed to be. And God said, standing on the promises. Do you know why those decorations stayed where they were? because my daughter did a heck of a job staking them in the ground. <laughs> because those decorations were staked deep into the ground. Do you get it? You drive your stakes deep into Jesus. And you let the wind come, you let the rain come, you let the floods come, and the next morning, you're going to be okay, you're going to be exactly where God has you because you have driven your stakes deep into the ground. Because God promises to watch over his own. Amen? That's Christmas. And that's why we can celebrate. And that's why we can say joy to the world. The Lord has come. Father, we come before you this morning. Father, just thank you for who you are. And gosh, you're so good to us and we don't deserve your goodness. And so we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And Father, we thank you for the promises that you have made, and oh God, we thank you for the promises that you have kept and that you will keep. And we make the declaration today to you, oh Father, that we will stand boldly on your promises. No matter what this world will bring our way, we will keep our feet grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, we want to say thank you. And if there's somebody here this morning who's never put all their hope and all their faith and all of their weight into Jesus, I pray today is that day that you would see the promised Messiah fulfilled in Jesus, born of a woman, born of a virgin, crucified on a cross, shed his blood, died for us, but on the third day rose again. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you are not saved, oh, please today give your life to Jesus and drive those stakes deep in the ground. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.